This is The Guardian. I'm Gabrielle Jackson, and this is The Full Story, Newsroom Edition, where Guardian Australia's editors discuss the news of the week. The Australian tourism industry was hit hard by the pandemic, and as borders open back up, international visitors have been slow to return. But in an effort to bring them back, Tourism Australia has unveiled a new mascot, Ruby the Roo, following in the footsteps of Lara Bingle... So where the bloody hell are you? ..and Paul Hogan... Beer's cold and there's plenty of shrimps on the bar. The CGI kangaroo, voiced by Rose Byrne, has a simple message. Come and say day." But this new campaign, as they all do, has caused a bit of a stir, with many questioning what this caricature says about us. Today, I'm talking to Editor-in-Chief Lenore Taylor and Head of News Mike Tisher about Ruby the Roo, tourism and how the world sees Australia. It's Friday, the 14th of October. Lenore, today we're going to be discussing one of the more controversial topics we've featured on this show, Ruby the Roo. Serious matters of state, Gabs. <laughs> What's all the fuss about? Uh, Ruby the Roo is a computer-generated plush toy, I think that's what you call it, voiced by Rose Byrne, who is going to be sort of the mascot of the new international tourist marketing campaign for Australia. I think we need to declare at the outset that we haven't seen the full campaign. There's only been a trailer released, so we're not fully informed, but I reckon the trailer's enough to get a taste of it, and it's a good old-fashioned Aussie marketing campaign where the aforementioned computer-generated plush kangaroo hops around iconic Australian landmarks. And the Minister for Trade and Tourism, Don Farrell, who you have to say is not a natural-born salesman, (laughs) called it the new Paul Hogan. So I think that's most of what you need to know right there. And it has had some very strong reactions, Mike. My reaction was just kind of, really, a kangaroo in front of Uluru, is that the best we can do? (laughs) And the former Managing Director of Tourism Australia, John O'Sullivan, was quoted in the paper on Thursday as saying... Tourism Australia would have done plenty of research that pointed to a kangaroo being the most iconic emblem of our country, which made me think you have to do plenty of research to discover that. You know? <laughs> I, so I worry that I worry that maybe a lot of money's gone into discovering that the kangaroo is our most iconic emblem. And I suppose a bit more seriously, it does raise questions about whether we care about whether the image that Australia projects overseas in its tourism ads is different from the one that we might like to think of Australians. Yeah, my reaction was similar to Mike's. I thought it was cringy and reductive and, you know, cliched and thought, my God, surely we can do something like better than that. It looked like a little small computer-generated version of Matilda the Kangaroo that was in the 82 Commonwealth Games. You <laughs> it know, does like, look like seriously? <laughs> However, in defence of the ads, we're not the target audience, right? Mm. This is The point is to make us tourism dollars by attracting visitors from overseas. And as Mike says, a lot of marketing people say that 
computer-generated kangaroos make people want to come to Australia. I mean, I don't really get it. A puppet in Lederhosen wouldn't make me want to go to Germany, but apparently <laughs> this is this is what people like. But I do think, to Mike's point, there is a sort of follow-on question, which is, is this a self-fulfilling exercise? If we portray ourselves in this way to the world, then that's all anyone's ever going to know about us. And how will people know about wineries or food or culture or history or Indigenous culture or any of the other stuff that you could take in when you come to Australia if we just portray ourselves as the bearers of cute plush toys. Does that also play back into how we see ourselves? You know, we've got big discussions coming up about national identity Mm. and I'm not suggesting any direct link, but, you know, these things play into how we see ourselves and what our view of ourselves is. So, you know, I don't want to get too deep and meaningful about it, but I just do think there is a question about how we portray ourselves to the world and we want to make money. Sure we do. We want tourists to come. Sure we do. But, you know, there are other things that they could do when they get here other than, I don't know, buy plush toys at Uluru. (laughs) It's Tourism Australia's job to attract more tourists to Australia Evidently, yep. but their ads are also seen by lots of people who are probably not going to think about coming here, but nevertheless influences what they think about Australia. And having grown up in the UK, I know that there are stereotypes about Australia just as there are about most countries. And although I don't think Australia is seen in a bad light, it is often seen in a, I mean, maybe this is a specifically British thing, but it is seen in a somewhat patronising light very often. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's completely detached from the way that it sells itself. I mean, other countries do see fit to have slightly more sophisticated takes on marketing campaigns. I saw Los Angeles Tourism launched ads recently and the theme was Now Playing. Los Angeles, visitors break into a big musical number. And it was an advertising campaign spotlighting the incomparable breadth of attractions, experiences, entertainment and accommodations found only in LA. So they're kind of doubling down on entertainment and Mm. shows and stuff. Ah, the perfect ending. Visit Britain's first international campaign post-COVID is Welcome to Another Side of Britain. A side where we discover new flavours on every street corner. Which is a shining a light on the destination's diverse cities. We encourage visitors to explore cities beyond and try something new, like rooftop afternoon tea in Liverpool, kayaking on the River Thames or gin tasting at a Cardiff distillery. So they're, like, looking beyond Big Ben. Mm. Other, other countries are looking at more sophisticated campaigns, but we sort of go back to the same old idea all the time. Rooftop afternoon tea in Liverpool? <laughs> That's very <laughs> suspect because there were people in a river, I hope it wasn't the Thames, <laughs> submerged in some kind of boat. And I was like, that is not what I would be doing in the UK. <laughs> okay. but what, so maybe they should have stuck to Big Ben? I, I reckon stick to Big Ben. And, and Midsummer Murders is their, <laughs> is their big advertising campaign, I think. I also watched quite a few other countries' ads as part of my extensive research for this podcast. And I guess most of them are do the kind of conventional things that you would expect and the European ones mostly show you, you know, castles and history and landscape and arts and all all the sport and all the kinds of things you'd expect in a fairly conventional format. The ones that really struck me as different were 
the one from New Zealand with Reese Darby and Jacinda Ardern a few years ago, which seemed to depend almost entirely on being a New Zealander or perhaps an Australian and knowing all the in jokes, which seemed, although it was quite funny, seemed to be, it was about how New Zealand was always left off the map. Hello, Reese. Cindy, I mean, Your Majesty, I'll keep this brief. New Zealand is being left off world maps all over the world. I'm sure there is a reasonable explanation. But the one I really liked was the Canadian one where they asked Canadians to send them footage of their holidays or their experiences of Canada. All these Canadians sent in footage. They had 65 hours of footage, which they boiled down to two minutes. And it ended up being kind of what you might expect in that it was all the scenery and all the, you know, amazing things you could do in Canada. It was kind of heartfelt. because it was actual people's own footage. What a nice and that, idea. That seemed like a way where you could talk about the country both to foreigners and to your own citizens in a, in a quite smart and, and fun way. The thing about these, you know, very stereotypical, cringy Australian ads, though, is that they seem to work. The, the Paul Hogan, throw another shrimp <laughs> on the Barbie ad, increased visas from America by 40% in the following year. And I think the Where the Bloody Hell Are You campaign added $1.8 billion to tourism. So we did ask readers, and <laughs> this is our adding some science to this mm-hmm. um, conversation. A highly scientific sample. Out of 1,500 readers, 46% said they liked Ruby Roo and 54% said no. See, I think people, I don't think Australians don't necessarily not like Paul Hogan or, or where the bloody hell are you. I mm. think people would just identify with the picture of Australia that was sold in those ads and perhaps the response wasn't quite the same when it first came out because he's talking about shrimps instead of prawns and all that kind yeah. of thing. <laughs> and, I mean, we but, really do but, need to do something because tourism arrivals are still sort of less than half than they were pre-pandemic. So I get why there needs to be a marketing campaign and I suppose there's competition all around the world for tourism and lots of things mitigating against people going on long trips far from home, like the airline tickets are really expensive, the airline industry is in a mess, you know, the currencies are fluctuating wildly, COVID's still around. Mm. So they've got a bit of an uphill battle to get, well, and so China's still, you know, there's virtually no tourism from China, which was one of our biggest destinations. So, you know, maybe sticking simple and straightforward and what you know works is not a bad thing to do for your first post-COVID campaign. Come and say good day. Good day. Sit on a flight for twenty-four hours <laughs> and then say good day. Good day. I think the other interesting comparison is with how the states or cities into inside Australia market themselves, which is it has. There's been some. It's kind of the op- complete opposite. But of they're Ruby marketing the to other Australians. Yeah, so. they are, but in a really oblique and often quite odd way. I think there's the one, the, perhaps the most um, famous one, is this the ad for the Barossa Valley in South Australia, which they use the Nick Cave soundtrack for Red Right Hand, where it's basically about all the food produce that comes from the Barossa, which kind of presents the food in a really unusual way and sort of suggests that, yeah, the food's great, but you might also get killed if you go to South Australia. <laughs> but, they do have odd murders. So, yeah, I mean, South Australia has sometimes been so innovative that they've actually flirted with some imagery that's so risque that it's frankly not suitable for a family audience. <laughs> it's time to go down south with your mouth. 
Well, there's beautiful one day, perfect the next. That's quite um, straightforward. That was oh, a, that's yeah. straightforward and, and very and effective. Uh, uh, lasting when slogan. I was in exactly. Cairns two weeks yeah. ago, I said it every day. <laughs> beautiful one day. Beautiful one day and perfect the next. Yeah, it seems like there's more thinking going on internally for the ads that are trying to sell Australia different parts of Australia to Australians than there are to the ones mm. externally somehow. You know, it seems to me that we kind of should have different ads for places like America who don't really understand Australia than the UK who kind of do understand what Australian exactly. culture is. Or, or sort of niche marketing campaigns to people who maybe do want to understand culture or, or um, food and wine or go to slightly less obvious destinations or do deeper dive type tourism things maybe. Mm. Mm. And perhaps the fact that this is, was launched initially in Japan is a clue about, I mean, it's going, it's, been, it's going to New York as well, so it's trying to cover all bases, but the Japanese and the Chinese market particularly are the ones that they need to revive or the, at least the ones that were strongest mm. pre-COVID that have suffered the most. Is Ruby Roo going to work? I guess the thing is we haven't seen the whole campaign yet. We haven't even heard the voices at this stage. So we should, but it is going to be a res- plush kangaroo the whole way, so <laughs> yeah. there's so far they can go, right? Uh, Rose, Rose Burning's pretty good, but, yeah, yeah, but, but uh, I'm not sure she's that good. <laughs> so much. There may be other elements to the campaign that we're not aware of so like, far. Ruby that we'll... Roo goes to Tetsuya's. <laughs> <laughs> well, she might, she might be served at Tetsuya's. <laughs> I think Ruby Roo might work and I think probably... I've overthought it and it's probably just the thing that will bring international tourists here, but I do kind of deep down wish we could have a more sophisticated portrayal of ourselves here and overseas. Next, Birds and Ben Robert-Smith. On October 17, join me, Ben Doherty, for Guardian Australia's new podcast series, Ben Robert Smith versus the Media. Australia's most decorated living soldier, Ben Robert Smith, is suing three Australian newspapers for defamation over articles he says falsely accuse him of committing war crimes. A picture of me is stone just flaking away with bullet cracks because all I did was serve my country, that's it. Depending on the outcome, the result will have immense ramifications, either for the future of investigative journalism in this country or for the reputation of Australia's military and of a man who has been venerated as a modern-day war hero. You can find it here on Full Story on Monday. And now we come to what we can't get out of our head. Mike, what? Could you not get out of your head this week? So the story I wanted to mention this week was the really long-running saga of the proposal to build apartments on uh, Toondah Harbour in Mm. Queensland, the part of which would include bits of the wetlands around Moreton Bay, which are essential feeding ground for lots of migratory birds, but in particular the eastern curlew, which is one of the most amazing birds as we've frequently covered in the Bird of the Year coverage. So the environmental impact statement for the Toondah Harbour wetlands proposal was released this week and the developers said it was unlikely to have a significant impact on the curly population because the 
the population declined so much already, which seemed like the most depressing oh. argument you could possibly yeah. make. Yeah, nice self-reinforcing. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, they so already did. That continues, but um, and was you know roundly condemned by environment groups, as you could imagine. But uh, yes, we await more developments on that one, uh, which you know is really another test, I think, of federal government's environmental credentials. Mm. Lenore, what was it for you? Uh, I just wanted to talk about our podcast series on the Ben Robert Smith defamation trial. A huge amount of work has gone into it. We launched the, f- the sort of teaser episode already and from next Monday the five episodes will start dropping. I have been able to listen to them all already and I just found it so engrossing to hear the story and the story of the trial put into context and explained and there's voice actors reading out parts of the trial. I read all of the reporting of the defamation trial and yet I still learned and understood this incredibly important case far more comprehensively and I was so gripped by the way that it's depicted in this podcast. So I would highly recommend. Mm. Can I share something I can't get out of my head yes, today? Yes, can. <laughs> so on Wednesday night I went to a Kooks concert uh, and it was the 15-year anniversary of their first album. I lived in London then. It mm. was the summer of 2007 and I really could not sleep last night just thinking about how great the world was in 2007. <laughs> the heady days when all we had to worry about was the global financial crisis. <laughs> but I was just thinking, you know, I, I feel so lucky that my kind of formative day were then and not no. now and mm. how much the world has changed. Mm. And um, secondly, like not to get too earnest, but I haven't been to a live event since before COVID and it was so great to sit there and just listen to music live and, you know, we didn't really look after our artists during the pandemic and it's just so important if we want to understand the world we live in and support the artists we have, like get out there and get back into it. It made me so happy. Thank you so much, Mike and Lenore. Thanks, Thanks. Thanks so much for listening. This episode was produced by Miles Herbert and Daniel Simo. The executive producers are me, Gabrielle Jackson and Miles Martignoni. Next week from Monday, we have a very special series for you. Don't miss it. Ben Robert Smith versus the media starts Monday. See you there.